At uh, uh, my mother's uh, Thanksgiving service, um, uh, we shared uh, one of the things that uh, she, she had a very good sense of humor, my mum, and uh, would come out with some things sometimes which were quite fun. And one of the things that she said to me was that uh, I used to work for Marks and Spencer and now I am a vicar. And uh, she uh, said, Anne, you need to write a book and I've got the title for you. And the title of this book uh, should be From Knickers to Vickers. <laughs> so, nice, it's good, isn't it? It's a great title. All I need now is the content, the thousands of words. So we've got the title. So we actually shared that at her Thanksgiving service, so that went down quite well. Um, but some people ask me, oh, how did I move from that Marks and Spencer into training for theological college and then doing what I do now, which is being a vicar? And uh, one of the things that happened uh, was a very significant, uh, um, very significant uh, picture that God gave me. And uh, sometimes uh, people are called into ordination over a number of years, and then they realise this is what God's been calling them into. For me, it was more of a, a moment where God showed me, and then I had to go through a process of application beyond that. Uh, and I needed a very strong word, a very strong picture, because God uh, wants to get my attention uh, to, to, to move me from uh, working for M&S to uh, working for the Church of England. But it's, I work for him, you know. I work for him in M&S, and I work for him here. So you work for God wherever you are. But he wanted to get me out of that retail environment into a time uh, of ministry. And the, uh, the, what he showed me... Uh, related to something that I'd done uh, six months earlier. So I'm in a ministry time, uh, I'm being prayed for uh, at the end of a talk at an event called Soul Survivor. How many people have been Soul Survivor? Yeah, there we are. Okay, so great summer camp, fantastic, empowering time. And uh, I'm being prayed for at the end of this uh, talk. And God reminds me of something I had done six months earlier. And what I had uh, been doing six months earlier was I was white water rafting in New Zealand. Very exciting, yeah, very good. On grade five rapids, pretty extreme, yeah, some white, yeah, okay, some pretty steep rapids, that sort of stuff. And when I was uh, reading the description of this white water rafting trip, uh, it said, we'll go through these grade five rapids, it's called the Rangitata River off Christchurch, we'll go down these grade five rapids, and then we will climb up the side of a cliff, and we'll jump into the water below, and then we'll have a barbecue. And I read the description, and it said that the, meter, uh, the um, cliff was 10 meters tall. And I thought, I was in a hotel room at the time, and I thought, well, and I'm pre-metric, so I thought meters was feet. So, <laughs> So I stood, <laughs> stood in the hotel room and looked at the door and thought, well, if that's six feet, four feet, I can do that. I can jump that. That's, that's okay. Yeah, okay, we can do that. Okay, we can do it. So we climb up, go through the rapids, we go up the side of the cliff, and we stand, and I look down, and I think, that's not <laughs> 10 feet. That really is not 10 feet. And uh, I said to the guy who was kind of, counting us off and helping us to jump. I said, um, do you think I should wear my spectacles? He said, no. So I took my helmet off and gave him my spectacles and I put my helmet back on. And as I put my helmet back on, my hands were absolutely shaking. 
And he said, oh, it is a bit cold up here, isn't it? And I said, not shaking because it's cold. I am absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified. And he said to me, okay, well, all you have to do is stand on the edge, thank you, and look to the bank on the other side. Now, the bank on the other side was like right the way at the other end of the square, so it was a long way around. He said, all you have to do is to look at the other bank on the side, and then all you have to do is to step. That's all you have to do. So I stepped. And I flew through the air, and the feeling of fear got a whole heap worse. It was absolutely <laughs> excruciating. I cannot tell you. It was just... And then it disappeared. And I'm still flying through the air because it's 10 meters is 30 feet, so it's quite a long way. And then it disappeared, and I hit the water, and I loved swimming, and I was alive, so I was presumably I was having an adrenaline rush, and I was incredibly happy. And I floated off down the stream, and then we had a barbecue. Anyway, God, in this prayer time, took me through each stage of that experience. And he said, what I'm asking you to do is to jump from one lifestyle to another, from uh, working from Marks and Spencer to going into ministry. You are going to be scared when you make this jump. But when I get you to where I want you to be, you're going to revel in it. When I get you to where I want you to be, you're going to revel in it. That was the promise. That was the promise. The other two things he said to me was, go and talk to your vicar, and I will provide for you. I will provide for you. And it was during that time, and it is still a continuous thing, that I learned that God is my provider. I would say up to that point in my life, the main providers in my life had been my dad, and my mum, and uh, then my employer, Marks and Spencer, and all of those people, and then the employer were a provision of God. But it was making that step that showed me that God is my provider. Because I moved from having a two-bedroom cottage and a company car and, you know, manager-level salary and all that sort of stuff, to one room and a sink and a student grant at Ridley Hall. And I remember talking to the Church of England as we went through the process of discernment as to whether they <laughs> thought I should become a vicar in the Church of England and whether I thought I should become a vicar in the Church of England. It's a two-way vocational process. Um, I remember one of the questions I asked uh, the Dyson Director of Ordnance. I, I said, yeah, this is some student grant. Um, is it, just, just manage my expectations here a bit, is it a, is it a student grant that's going to cover ski holidays? Or is it a student grant that's going to cover shampoo? And he said, it's a shampoo grant, Anne. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. But during my time at Ridley, I ended up on a ski holiday completely randomly in one of the most expensive resorts in Europe. I t you know, God doesn't, you know, he, he's not limited by shampoo grants. 
So what I'm speaking about this evening is the joy of giving. The joy of giving. And the joy of giving is based on the reality that we're not reliant on ourselves. We're reliant on God. We're not reliant on ourselves. We are reliant on God. Who here wants to be like God? Well, God is generous. One of the easiest ways we can get to be like God is to be generous ourselves. Reflecting in his image. What holds us back? What holds us back from that generosity is when we have times where we start to rely on ourselves and our own resources. And we start to keep it safe and work it all out. Let's uh, read the passage for this evening, uh, which speaks on this. So we're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're taking a a break from our Sermon on the Mount series. That will uh, come back again next week uh, to look at this subject, which is the joy of giving. And this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. That's correct, isn't it, Kate? I've got that. Okay, we're on there. All right, great. Okay, fine. Here we are. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. generosity. When we're generous in any way, and not just with money, we're imitating God. And therefore, generosity should be a normal part of the Christian life. Generosity is a hallmark of the kingdom of God, and therefore should be the thing that characterizes those who are citizens of that kingdom. Our very relationship with God is on the sole basis of God's generosity towards us. It starts with God. Grace 
God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives out of love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gives, God is generous, and we're called to follow his example. When we were sinners, Christ died for us, and our whole standing before God, our relationship with him, his work in our lives is solely an act of grace. It's generosity, giving us what we could never deserve. Remember that we are in Christ, enfolded into his heart. That is our location. Moreover, we have his spirit living in us. We are sons and daughters, part of the family. So it's a reasonable expectation that we will display family likeness as we are sons and daughters of a generous, heavenly Father. Generosity can show itself in many different ways, attitudes to people and relationships, a willingness to forgive, to talk and think well of people. Generosity towards God is a mark of our gratitude of what he's done. And with our resources, our time, energy and money, as we seek to advance and progress God's kingdom. So today we're talking about the latter of those, the money, as we consider this before God. And the passage talks about being a cheerful giver. The original word in the Greek is hilarios, which of course is where we get our word hilarious from. God loves an hilarious giver. Now, when we pass the baskets around earlier, I don't think I saw anybody go, whoa, ho, 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 a really, really big belly laugh of hilarity as we gave. When you fill out your standing order form or your gift aid form, are you killing yourself laughing? If you're anything like me, you've got a slightly frowned expression on you going, oh, well, I gave this last year, and what's it going to mean this year, and what's the tax back on this, and how does it... Well, that's not hilarious giving, is it? I was just trying to figure it all out. No, when God lifts off that legalism or that doubt about what we should be giving and moves us into he's our provider so we can be generous, the frown goes off our face. I suspect because we're British, we might get to a smile. (laughs) Possibly. I haven't, I've I've been to a church in Uganda where the offering was given and uh, it was hilarious. People, baskets at the front, worship going, waving money as they went down the aisle, chucking it in the basket. No shame, no privacy, no, you know, just going for it. Just going for it. I mean, I'm nowhere near that yet. You may have noticed that. You didn't hear me laughing as the basket went. I'd love to get to that hilarity. But I think that hilarity is based on our understanding of who God is and his generosity towards us. Let's ask this question. Why is giving not sometimes joyful or hilarious? Well, I'd suggest, and I think that Jesus seems to say this, we give money too much power. 
Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Strong words, aren't they? But notice it's the love of money, not money in and of itself. Money's just a tool. Jesus talks about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God. That means it's a big deal. In fact, if we taught about money as much as he did, then every third or fourth sermon would deal with this topic twice a month. We'd certainly get very hilarious at that point, wouldn't we? Math, um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we'll go into that a bit more deeply in our Sermon on the Mount series. But where your treasure is, there your heart is also. When we love or give our hearts to something, we're doing two things. Significance, our sense of worth is coming from money. Or security, our sense of safety is coming from money. The problem is money can't give us lasting significance or true security. In fact, earlier on in that uh, 1 Timothy uh, Chapter 6, so verse 7 paraphrased is, you can't take it with you. You didn't arrive with anything, you can't take it away. So how do we break money's power in our lives? Well, by becoming joyful and hilarious givers. And how do we do that? Well, here's a little equation that James prepared as part of this talk. So the first part is, Get to know the giver. When we give in a cheerful, hilarious, joyful way, it's not a sign of legalism when we give cheerfully, like we're forced to. It's not even a sign of commitment to this church or the church you're part of when we give cheerfully. Rather, it's a sign of your own generosity, a sign of God being at work in our lives. It's a sign of grace. The gift of his grace will always result in us giving away. It doesn't result in clinging on to things. Hilarious giving is the sign of God being at work in our lives. It's a sign of grace. And the gift of his grace will result in us giving away. We will be miserable givers, legalistic or feeling guilty, unless something else, as in God, gives us that sense of significance and security. Someone once said, we tend to hold onto money less, try that again, we tend to hold onto money less tightly when we hold God firmly. We tend to hold onto money less tightly when we hold God firmly. And I would want to add to that And when we understand that first God holds on to us. We only know how to love because God first loved us. We can only forgive because we have first been forgiven. We can only give if we know how much we've been given in Jesus. Do we want giving to become joyful? Well, let's get to know the giver. First part of the equation, second part. So, 
get to know the giver, plus get into the flow of grace. Here we see from uh, the passage that we read, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you want to be joyful, give generously. Someone put it like this. This is your basic agricultural truism. The more you sow, the more you reap. If you want to catch fish, you have to go fishing. If you want to catch a lot of fish, you have to go fishing a lot. Almost invariably, those who see their friends, family, and colleagues come to faith speak to a lot of people. They proclaim their faith generously. Christians who always have stories of God's supernatural intervention are those who try to follow the Spirit. They open themselves to the Spirit regularly and pray for people generously. Note, it's important to note that for these people, generosity is more important than precision. Than precision, It's the same with healing. When we're generous, we get in the flow of grace. And why? Well, this reflects our Heavenly Father's heart. He's generous and gracious. And I think that agricultural uh, uh, image that Paul's using there, uh, you know, a seed isn't being planted precisely, it's thrown throne, so generosity, just throw it out there. What I uh, wanted to say personally, what I have found is that um, whenever I've tried to give more, uh, God has always made it possible, sometimes in retrospect. So a few years ago, uh, well, we had this building project and we had a big... um, uh, shout out for people, we had to raise £100,000 on one particular Sunday, and as we headed towards that Sunday, I thought of a figure that I wanted to give, and I took that to God, and, um, you know, prepared for God to say yes, or less, or whatever he wanted to say, really, and he said double it. I went, okay, okay, give it a go. So, are you sure, Lord? Okay, right. So, I gave double what it was that I thought I'd been asked to give. And uh, a week later, I had to take my cat in for a dental treatment. She had to have a tooth removed. And the vet that I took her, I nearly said dentist there, neck. anyway, the vet, the vet that I took her to charged me half what the previous vet had quoted me. And guess what the difference was? Yes, it was the amount that I'd given extra. You know, I don't know how God was going to do that. But he's the provider. He's the provider. Hmm. In uh, the autumn, I was doing an awful lot of travelling up and down to Glasgow, uh, which is where my mum lived, and I got home on a Sunday and found somebody had put an envelope through my door and there was 250 pounds and it just simply said on the envelope to help with your travel cost to your mum. That was somebody for this, from this church, maybe a group of people from this church, I don't know. But I'm so grateful. Suddenly the provision came in to help me do what I needed to do with my time. That's me receiving that hilarious giving, you know. It's receiving and giving. It's 
lot of fun. A lot of fun. I heard of somebody today who heard the talk, this talk uh, last Sunday morning and knew of a need of a friend and went round this week and just addressed it with her friend. And she just had a lot of fun doing that. So there you are. Get to know the giver, the giver, the giver. Okay. Get to know the giver, get into the flow of grace, and then you'll become a joyful, hilarious giver. Despite your financial circumstances, money, instead of being a constant worry and anxiety, will instead become a source of fun in the kingdom of God. Money will lose its power over you, and you will notice more of God's power working through you. When we get our significance and security from God and God alone, and when we exercise faith and get in the flow of grace, then giving becomes joyful. So practically, how and to whom should I give? Verse seven, it's really clear, it's that the spirit is leading. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. The simple answer is that we should give as the spirit leads, just as we should do everything in the Christian life. We do not live under any kind of law, including laws about giving money. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, and he discerned this by the power of his spirit. So our question ought to be, what is the father doing? Of course, there are some obvious things. There's an expectation in the New Testament that Christians will set aside a proportion of their income to support the work of their particular church. Here at St. Barnabas, we are followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone. We seek to do this in various ways, and we talk about that in more detail other times of year, like Vision Sunday and Commitment and Review Sunday. And we want to be more of this, being followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone in this city and reach more people. So by giving to St. Barnabas, it goes towards this aim as we seek to do this as family and expanding further into seeing people connect with Jesus across this city. Some people find it helpful to start looking at 10% of their income as first fruits to the Lord, the giver himself, and we give back to him. And 10% is a good starting point. So what does that mean if you're a student or not earning? Well, maybe it's giving an equivalent, say, instead of setting aside your first fruit to buy a pint or that super-duper cappuccino. Maybe give, a, give, a part, give that cost of the pint or the cost of the coffee as your first fruit. Others may well have been giving the same percentage for years, and this may be the time to come back to the giver and consider what he wants you to do in response to him and his grace. I heard one person say, and I find this challenging, give until it hurts, until it becomes generous, sacrificial, until it becomes an hilarious example of trusting in God. Here at St. Barnabas, we've tried to make it easier to give simply because it's such an important discipleship issue. So check out our new website. There's a page, there's a header at the top that says give. You click on give. You'll see there's giving by standing order. Uh, which is really helpful for us because it means that we can plan. There's text giving and there's a code, there's numbers, and I advise you to read it and work it out because you guys text give, don't you? I, I still carry cash, you know, I'm like last century person, but 
I know that we're cashless society, but text 70070, the rest is great. Give cash in the basket as it comes around. And if you're doing that already, two things. Review what you're giving and give a one-off gift. All of this is on the website, including details about gift aid if you're a taxpayer, which is a great way of diverting your tax to the work of the church. 25% goes that way. Very exciting. Have I got that right in terms of the gift page? Just about. Yeah, there you go. Forward slash give. Thank you very much. Very good. It's a faith journey for us. It's often stepping stones, and we give as we are able. I mean, I was very grateful when I was uh, being, um, when I was a, a young um, Christian, we were just invited to tithe. So, you know, my pocket money was one pound a week. It was 10p. You know, my student grant was 10 pounds a week. I'm really dating myself here. So it was one pound. And then I started working for M&S and the 10% came and it looked like a much bigger figure, but it was just still 10%. So that was like kind of easy discipleship because that's what we all did. That, that was how it, how it happened. It was actually stepping into when God stepped me out of M&S that that took me into his provision that, that, that made me more generous because I understood his provision. So I moved beyond the tithe and the you know, potential that was a bit legalistic for me into, wow, God's giving me this, what can I do? I haven't got it all right. I still have moments where I've got my furrowed brow. You've heard that quite clearly as I try to work things out. But this is a discipleship thing. You know, if we, if we give, if we can get into this generosity, we get into hilarious giving, we find out who God is and his provision for us. Provision for us in lots of different ways. I, I mean, during my life, God has, you know, since I've started to kind of go further into this trusting him to provide, he's giving, given me some gifts that I was not asking for. But when I received them, I realized it was something very close to my heart. Now, that's the type of thing that people who are in covenant relationship with each other do. People who love each other do. Surprise you with gifts. That's what God does. He's in covenant with you. He can surprise you with things that you never even knew were on your heart. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about getting a Rolls Royce. Okay? Just to, I need to say that, don't I? Sorry about that, folks. So you wanted a Rolls Royce. It's not that. It's finding out that God is generous. And then giving generously ourselves. So it's stepping stones. We give as we're able. God sometimes asks us to give more. But people are in different circumstances, so there mustn't be a legalistic burden, but a response to grace. And it's not how much or how little, rich, poor, new Christian, old Christian, it's what's your response to his grace. And a word uh, we had before the service was, don't despise the day of small beginnings. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I couldn't do 10%, just could not do that at the moment. Well, just start with something small and say, Lord, I'm giving you this because you're generous to me and I want to be generous back. So on top of giving to the church, we're also encouraged in the Bible to give to the poor, especially the poor amongst the body of Christ, but not exclusively. It's really important we get into that as part of our everyday lives. 
And the Spirit may well direct us to give to relieve other situations of need in the world and in the lives of those around us as well. So, take a leap of faith this evening. Be generous, because God is generous. Get to know the giver, get into the flow of grace, and become a joyful, hilarious giver.